Welcome back to Inside Asia. This week, we head south to the equator and to the Indonesian island of Bali, where two individuals are working to make a difference. Tomo and Asuka Hamakawa are co-founders of Earth Company. Its stated mission, to empower and inspire changemakers who realize social change for our future generations. It doesn't get more noble than that. In the wake of so many high-powered gatherings where the political and financial elite debate the future of our planet, I thought it important to hear from just two of thousands of young activists who have committed themselves to grassroots efforts. This is where the real change occurs. Before we hear from our guests, a few words about our sponsor, Quilt AI, a mission-first technology company that helps large organizations use the internet more purposefully. It's looking to reverse fractures in society and generate empathy while helping organizations understand their consumers and beneficiaries much better. They give time and money to causes they care about and in service to people and planet. Inside Asia is pleased to be associated with Quilt AI. For more information, do check them out at quilt.ai. Tomo, Asuka, thank you for joining us from Bali. I wonder if you might start off our conversation by giving us an update. How has Bali fared during the COVID crisis? You know, 80% of Bali's economy depends on tourism. So, you know, as you can imagine, you know, people here are heavily, heavily um, influenced by that. So basically, you know, we're looking at like 80% unemployment rate, right, for the local people. So <laughs> things are devastating for sure. Um, you know, especially touristy places like Kuta, uh, Nusa Dua, Ubud, where we are right now, those places have gone, like, basically they've become ghost towns. So uh, I'm told, I'm told you yeah. drive down the roads and Monkey Forest Road and Ubud and everything shuttered or gutted, um, yep. uh, barely a shop, a restaurant or, or a, a, a uh, anything open. And that, that's, that's true, eh? There are yeah. more monkeys than people right now. Yeah. Well, I think that was always the case, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even so, yeah, even right. more. Right. And what about what about the international community? How have people have people stayed? Have they left? Um, I, I obviously the two of you still doing good work, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But tell us about the community at large. I think the there's a good majority that stayed in Bali uh, through this crisis, and <clears throat> a lot of. People in Ubud have stayed and some have actually migrated down to Changu, which is another uh, beach town in Bali. And uh, so Ubud is probably more deserted than Changu these days. Mm. And uh, but I think their long term residents are here for the for the long haul. Right. And so they're not going to and they're not going to go home to their their own countries just because of a lockdown or something. And they'd rather be in Bali than than, you know, other places. So. I think there's a pretty strong expat community that has, has, has stuck through this. The two of you run a nonprofit, and we're going to turn to that in just, just momentarily. Uh, how has this situation affected, affected operations of nonprofits in Bali? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think it's had a huge impact on the social enterprise and NGO community in Bali, uh, also in the rest of Indonesia, very similar to other parts of the world. Um, one good example is, is our friend, Balinese friend, uh, who is a young social entrepreneur who is running village-based sustainable tourism programs before COVID. Uh, and when the pandemic started, he basically started to go dormant with his organization because there's no one coming in. So he basically went back to his home village uh, to focus on agriculture uh, and developing local herbs and spices, which, which he was really passionate about before. 
But he said, you know, the pandemic is a gift and now I can focus on the things I really wanted to do. Um, and so I think for, for a lot of Balinese people, including, you know, entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs, they've, they've gone home um, to, to their villages. Um, but I think on the other hand, I think there are some organizations that have, have done quite well. Um, and I think the ones that have done quite well are ones with really strong social capital. Um, especially strong donors, right? And so if you have compassionate donors uh, who are willing to continue their supports, um, so um, organizations can, can really stay strong. And uh, the one organization called Bumisehat, Yayasan Bumisehat, that we've been supporting for a number of years, uh, wonderful, wonderful organization that supports, um, you know, provides healthcare and reproductive health care for the poor. They've actually done, uh, done okay. Um, uh, despite the situation. So I think it really depends on on kind of the the, the type or the the scale of your organization. Did, did some of the NGOs toggle and, you know, focus on areas of greatest need and maybe go off plan a little bit, if only to be of, of service? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So some um, organizations have, have uh, done kind of food relief work, um, especially in in villages where you know the the really isolated and cut off and unemployment rates are really high, and so that that's been a huge need. I think there there have been many attempts at trying to create an economy, especially in Eastern Indonesia, that follows a different path from the kind of conventional development path. Um, I can think of places like Sumba, which was actually identified as a place of renewable energy. And, you know, it's, it's a sizable uh, island, but it's, it's manageable. So they, they wanted to go 100% renewable energy for that island. Uh, and I think they've, they've made progress, but also, you know, face challenges. I think Bali is, is a really unique um, island in, in many, many ways. And economically, it, it heavily depends on, on tourism. And I think it's hard to replicate that in other parts of Indonesia. There was one initiative um, called the Bali Pledge that was started last year, actually just after the uh, just after the pandemic started. And it was actually modeled after the Palau Pledge uh, in the country of Palau. And basically, Palau, I think a few years ago, started to require visitors to sign, basically make a commitment to say, I will uh, be responsible environmentally, socially when I visit the islands, right? Mm. And so a lot of people came together and said, well, let's do something for something similar for Bali. And so that we, you know, we encourage or even enforce visitors to be responsible tourists. And the, I think there, there are a lot of barriers to, 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 to make that happen in, in Bali. You know, Bali itself is not a country, so you can't have, um, you can't enforce that um, just at the Bali airports. Uh, and it's also Bali is a huge economy with with a huge population, and so I think the implementation has has not gone as 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 well as some people hoped. But I think that was a really good intention to um, to basically rebuild in a much different and better way. Uh, Oscar, tell us about your organization, the Earth Company. Sure. Yeah. So Earth Company is an organization, nonprofit with NGO that we founded back in Japan uh, seven years ago, back in 2014. 
Um, and as soon as we founded the organization, we actually moved to Bali. Uh, Tomo was working for another NGO at the time, um, um, part-time. And so, yeah, we moved here and we've been here for seven years. Uh, so what Earth Company does is basically we do three things. Uh, the main thing, the flagship program that we do is uh, we're calling it Impact Cure Support Program. So we select one amazing, exceptional, one-of-a-kind change maker per year um, in Asia-Pacific region. And uh, that one person we support for three years. If you were to, to explain to the listeners um, Earth Company's agenda, what problem are you trying to solve? Earth Company is trying to create regenerative futures for the world. And we live in a degenerative world, unfortunately. And I think a de- we are in a degenerative world that's trying to become more sustainable. But I think beyond sustainability, there is circularity and also regeneration. And I think regeneration is, is the final goal for us as a community, as, as humanity. And regeneration for us me- means that the people uh, and the world and the, and the environment uh, have a positive impact on each other. Are these ideas you've had over many years or have these ideas been um, uh, enticed by virtue of living in Bali, which certainly is a circular culture? Does Bali have something to offer the world in that respect, given that it is multi-seasonal, that it's always thought about you know, management of water, management of resources? You know, The farming techniques have always been very thoughtful and considered. While everyone's buzzing around with their technology solutions and their highfalutin you know, financial ideas and World Bank and IFC saying, we'll get behind that. Is there possibly, at the end of the day, an opportunity to demonstrate on the ground in a Petri dish fashion what works and what doesn't so that we can start to actually execute on these ideas? Hmm. I mean, I think Bali itself is a very unique context. And a lot of people refer to this concept of Trihitakarana, right? The, the three harmonies. And it's harmony with the gods, harmony with nature, and harmony among people. And I think this has had a conscious and unconscious effect on us over the years. And I think the the concept of harmony uh, is super crucial in these times right now, um, especially in in relation to our relationship with the environment and also among the people. And I think Balinese people are probably the most welcoming and open people that we've ever met in our lives. Uh, They are... As long as you are respectful towards their culture and their, their way of life, they will welcome you to the very inner core of their life. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really seen that in other parts of the world. And that we've been really touched by that uh, and have been really inspired by that. Mm-hmm. And their also respect for nature um, is something remarkable and spectacular that the world can learn from. And also harmony with the gods, right? And I think gods... Not just in a spiritual and religious way, but it's also paying respect to things that are invisible, right? So there's there's a there's a there's a word called skara niskara in 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 Balinese. It's paying respect to the visible, but also to the invisible, and that also refers to things like germs and bacteria, right? You're pointing to something quite interesting, which is this this uh, nature based societies. 
Um, you know, they've known longer than any of us how it works and works well. And clearly the rest of the world or much of the world has departed from those ideas, you know, applying whatever they could, right, in, in any source of technology or building or infrastructure to control or manage nature to some degree. So, so when, when I think of some of the heroes and some of the work you do, and maybe we could turn to some of this, I think of some of your impact heroes. Uh, for instance, uh, Arif Rabik, uh, who I think is your 2021 uh, impact hero. Tell us his story, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So we selected Arif Rabik as Impact Hero 2021 at the end of last year. And so we've been working with him and his team for about 10 months now. And we have two years plus with, with him in, the, in this partnership. And we've learned a great amount about bamboo from him and his team already. Um, basically, his uh, vision is to create 1,000 bamboo villages in Indonesia, 10,000 bamboo villages in nine countries in the equatorial belt. And if that does come true through the 10,000 bamboo villages, uh, it has the capacity to absorb 3%, 3% of global carbon dioxide emissions. Is there an opportunity to uh, generate uh, carbon credits on the back of this? Is that part of the plan as well? Yes, certainly. Um, that's that's in their their plan. Uh, there's, as you know, there's a lot of interest in uh, among companies who want to offset their carbon emissions, and so the demand for carbon credits has never been higher now. And so he is trying to um, basically get um, do this at scale so that he can get the get. The get his work certified and also to be able to sell carbon credits. And very briefly, give us a flavor for some of the others that have been selected in recent years. It's not just environmental, is it? Bella was the very first impact hero that we selected, and it, it, we actually founded this organization for her so that we can support her. Mm. Um, I've actually known her for a very long time. I went to school with her in Hawaii. Um, I was in grad school. She was in college, um, undergrad at the time, but she's 10 years older than me. And she was telling me all these uh, stories about her life uh, back in Timor-Leste, where she comes from. So, um, yeah, Timor-Leste is a, a small country surrounded by Indonesian islands, but it's an independent uh, country at the moment. But when she grew up, uh, it wasn't independent. It was in invaded uh, by Indonesia. And I think she was around three years old when in Indonesia invaded that country. And, you know, she had so much, oh my God, so, so many experiences that, you know, we can't even imagine. Um, like, you know, she was sold to the Indonesian military by her own father uh, for $5, uh, she herself was abused in so many different ways, physically, sexually, you know, and she lost two of her brothers during the war. And, you know, she she became a child soldier, you know, fighting for independence with her grandfather, you know, and uh, she actually went through this uh, massacre where a lot of her friends and you know families were, were killed. And she herself was saved by this like foreign um, journalist. But, you know, she really thought that if she wants to help this country, that she needs to get away from this country. But, you know, as a Timorese, there's no way for them to get a passport and go abroad. Right. The only way for her was to to join the military of Indonesia, who, who was the enemy of hers. Right. 
And uh, but of course, they they weren't going to buy her story. You know, they had known her as a, a independent warrior, and so yeah, she she joined them for three years, and you know, she really tried to convince them that she now really wanted to become part of Indonesia. And after three years of so much abuse, you know, they finally bought that she okay, she's pro Indonesia, and they sent her to Canada representing pro Indonesia young person. And that was the only chance that she got to exile, right? And so as soon as she got to Canada, she risked her own life to, to get away and she escaped and she became a refugee. She's really a pioneer in environmental education in Timor-Leste. And also she's also uh, recently been at the forefront of the LGBTI cause uh, as she herself uh, is, is lesbian. And what's really amazing is that she has uh, already declared to be a candidate for a presidential election in the future. And so she wants to be the head of state. Uh, If successful, she will be the first female head of state of Timor and probably the first LGBTI president in Asia. It it sounds to me like you all, the two of you have identified, you know, individuals and their causes as perhaps the greatest single way to inspire change. Am I getting that right? And would you, would, would, is is that really what's behind what you're doing right now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We think the way to ignite change requires two things, right? Inspiration and information. And information is overly abundant in this digital era that we live in. And so it's easy to look up different case studies or about learn about SDGs or whatever it is. Um, but we think inspiration is actually in scarcity. It's in competition with things like cynicism, apathy, ignorance, egoism, instant gratification. And so if we can inspire people, then that will propel them for a long time. And that's really what we're trying to do through our Impact Heroes program, through our Impact Academy program, as well as through our Eco Hotel, is to show people what's possible. That was my conversation with Tomo and Asuka Hamakawa, founders of Earth Company, a Bali-based nonprofit in search of social and environmental impact heroes. While global leaders in places like Glasgow, Davos, and Paris consider ways of pulling our planet back from the brink, it's on the ground in places like Bali where the real work is being done. According to the United Nations Development Program, there are some 40,000 NGOs operating worldwide, not including the hundreds of thousands of community-based organizations that carry out the work as funded. Well, on the one hand, it's a tribute that so many people are trying to make a difference, it's also a logistical and financial nightmare. No one, so far, has found a way to identify and rank the most impactful programs in order to optimize funding. But maybe we shouldn't. Perhaps the NGO universe operates with a kind of distributed energy borne by the individuals that launch and sustain them. There's a kind of creativity and passion that percolates within and between nonprofits. And while there's competition for funding, there's also collaboration and a commitment to solve some of society's thorniest problems. Information, Tomo reminds us, is abundant. Inspiration, on the other hand, is in short supply. While data provides us with the core insights we need to assess the nature of any given problem, it's the narrative that stems from it that gives life and humanity to the ultimate cause. 
By identifying and backing so-called impact heroes, Tomo and Asuka are resorting to an age-old device that speaks to the human psyche. No matter where you're from or what traditions you follow, everyone loves a hero. They are the kind of elevated individuals that inspire what's best in all of us. If NGOs like Earth Company can create the story-based pedestals upon which their heroes can stand, perhaps they'll inspire others, spark the imagination, and who knows, maybe even create a movement. Thanks for joining us here on Inside Asia. And if you haven't checked out our new website, please do. There are over 180 episodes to choose from, all searchable and covering a range of topics from corporate purpose and sustainability to future tech, future economy, geopolitics, and more. Each episode posting is accompanied by our weekly newsletter. So if you prefer reading to listening, now you can. Our newsletter includes links to other valuable resources and insights, and references earlier episodes on related topics as well. Visit us at www.insideasiapodcast.com. And as always, we thank you for listening.